Welcome to Comic Book Herald's Cree Annotators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of Comic Book Herald, and I'll be interviewing some of my favorite creators in comics about specific runs, graphic novels, or series, looking for their insights and inspirations behind the work. Today, I'm excited to welcome Layla Del Duca, artist of the recent graphic novel Wonder Woman Tempest Tossed, and talented creator of books like Afar, Sleepless, and Shudder from Image Comics. Layla, thanks so much for joining. I wanted to ask you right off the bat. So Wonder Woman Tempest Tossed came out a couple months ago, and I, I read it um, within the last couple weeks, and it's very, very strong work. Uh, it tackles a lot of really, um, you know, like, like difficult subjects to tackle, but it does so effectively. And, and you know, within this narrative of a 16-year-old Wonder Woman, first off, before we get too deep into the weeds, how different is it working on a... A DC graphic novel or just a graphic novel, you know, of any kind compared to like the ongoing monthly, you know, comic scene? Well, that's a really great question. And I thought about that a lot <laughs> when I was drawing this. For sure. one, it was really refreshing to draw a graphic novel instead of trying to do a monthly comic. Um, because for monthly comics, I have to draw like anywhere between 20 to sometimes 30 pages per month on top of being art director, on top of okaying files for print, on top of like communicating with all of the parties involved. So all of that stuff. Oh, also like the monthly promotion. So with this graphic novel, right. I could just focus on drawing and I didn't have to promote it or do all of the extra stuff that comes with doing monthly. So I loved it and I still haven't developed a taste for monthly comics again. Yeah. Yeah. But I am working on a monthly that hasn't been announced, but they're giving me six weeks to produce each each comic. So I think that pace is a lot more realistic for me at this time. Yeah. Interesting. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. With the, with the publicity angle, that's definitely one thing I've been realizing more and more as I talk to more creators is like, as fans and as readers, we take for granted that like you have to be your own marketing professional a lot of the times, mm -hmm. especially when it's, you know, creator own work and stuff like that. Um, with, with DC, is that like, is it just the nature of, well, it comes out once and I only have to hype it once, or is it more like they have a machine built around these specific properties? It will be interesting to find that out. They didn't give me this overall marketing plan, uh, or like past the initial release of the book. Yeah. Um, they did treat us to a whole half year of marketing before the book came out, which right. is great. They also originally had it coincide with the release of the Wonder Woman 1984 movie, but that's been yeah, posted. Sure. Um, but yeah. that was the original plan. And I was really grateful for them even trying to do that. So yeah. I'm not sure what happens after this book has been out for a while. Um, now that Lori has finished the digital book tour. Um, yeah, I, or wow, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Don't know how to end that question. But yeah, I think that, of course, I'll be promoting it on my own uh, for years to come, but I'm not sure what yeah. DC is going to do. Yeah. Okay. No, no worries. You mentioned Lori. That's the the author, Lori Hall Sanderson. Uh, she's a writer of of a number of, you know, very, very successful uh, fiction works. And here she's coming into comics and technically not for the first time, but definitely she's not like in the comics, you know, industry per se. Um, I feel like a lot of times fans have a there's like a defense mechanism that goes up when somebody outside of comics comes in and it's like, oh, do they really know it? How How is that experience for you? Um, was it 
was it different working with Lori compared to what you're used to or, um, well, I'll just let you answer. How, how was the experience? Yeah, it, it wasn't that different. Um, and the reasons it would, was different wasn't because of Lori. So because this is a graphic novel with DC Comics, they had an editorial team that was basically the middleman between me and Lori and Kelly the colorist, Kelly Fitzpatrick. And so that was the first time that I was, I didn't have a close relationship with the writer I was working with. So yeah. we rarely talked at all. Um, but other than that, her script was pretty like basic to what I've seen other writers do. She had an amazing, amazing script that it was so packed with world building that I keep telling people I, I'm sad that other people can't read the version that I got to read because mm. it was so rich and rewarding to read. Uh, and yeah, I think maybe the only thing she did that may have been difficult was she put a lot of information sometimes in each page and i think in a regular american monthly comic book size that would have been okay but because it was a six by nine inch size graphic novel it was a little bit hard to put all the detail in there without having to cut some some stuff yeah so that's that's interesting. So the the literal size of it is these you know package. They they do sell more like you know they're standalone graphic novels, but they are packaged more like you know YA kind of novels. Mm -hmm. um, how how did you so maybe a little less detail in terms of like the amount you can fit on the page? How else did you find yourself adjusting to that like just that literal size of the book? Mm, well, I had one or <laughs> I had wanted to draw in that format for a while just yeah. to see what it felt like to do the different dimension instead of the, like, it, it's a little bit more short than the standard 11 by 17 uh, comic book size. And it was really fun. I liked the minute, minute changes I had to make in storytelling to fit the panels on the page and do like tweaks to the compositions a little bit. So yeah, yeah it was really fun. It wasn't that hard at all. I liked it. Good, good deal. No, and it's, it's over 200 pages. And I, how long did you say it took you? Like how long were you working on the book? Um, it took me nine months to draw, and I think it's only 180 pages, actually. Okay. Or at least yeah. that's only comic book page-wise, it's only 180 pages. That's Yes, that's probably right. I read the, the digital version, Shamsert's cover, credits, extras, yeah. all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, cool. So it, you get to bring young Diana Prince, <laughs> aka Wonder Woman, to life um, as a young woman feeling pretty uncomfortable, right? Like she's got, mm -hmm. she turned 16. She's going through a number of changes. She's making mistakes. She's feeling deeply unsure. Um, what did you want to bring to this version of the character? Cause it is fairly different. I think even from young Diana stories that, that a lot of DC fans might be familiar with. What was your um, core focus as you were sort of depicting what she would look like and how she would interact with her world? Well, I think the core fo focus was to do a more grounded, maybe more realistic to real life version of Deanna. Yeah. And it was really rewarding to kind of look back at how awkward and frustrated with the world I was as a young woman. And sure. Lori did a great job too, uh, writing that. Like, it sounds like we, I mean, like any girl growing up can be like, oh yeah, <laughs> it did feel that awkward and frustrating and um, I think just teens in general can relate to the frustrations of the hypocrisies of society that Deanna has to has to come to terms with when she's booted from Themyscira. Um, right. So yeah, I wanted to 
I wanted to do that. I also didn't want to sexualize her at all because it's something that I don't really like in comics. I don't like teens being sexualized. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to have her still dress fashionably in Themyscira, but not be uh, like skimpily clad. And then when she goes to uh, the refugee camp in New York City, I wanted her to have clothing that looked like were hand-me-downs or like donated clothing because that is what she would wear as a as a refugee right right without you know as this kind of she's found and she's taken in by these groups but she does it's not like she goes there with this immense wealth and this privilege you know she's not she's not the justice leaguer with status or anything like that yeah and yeah it was it was cool to examine though because she does come from privilege from being in a utopian society and then having yeah. to go to the world, real world and then coming to terms with that kind of angle on privilege, which was also really cool to illustrate. Yeah, it's, it is really interesting and it's really unique. And I, yeah, I mean, you're talking about, you know, her privilege entering that society, but it's like this book tackles refugees, it tackles immigration, it tackles child trafficking. Um, and I, I'm not just like listing things off, like there's a narrative progression that makes sense in the way it, it, it tackles all these. And it's like you said, I think one thing I took away from your depictions and from the story is Diana's frustration with all of this is so earnest, you know, even, even something small, like she sees a, a homeless woman or, you know, sleeping on the sidewalk and just like the, the sense of like, why, why is this okay? Why is anyone okay with this yeah. um, really comes through extremely well. And it's like, it, makes you actually think like, yeah, why, why would someone be okay with that? You know, it's, it's thought provoking in some ways that are subtle. Good. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's cool. Uh, what was your inspiration? So you mentioned like, you know, not sexualizing, um, the character certainly, which makes a ton of sense. What, what else were your inspirations behind the depiction of Themyscira? Like what was important for you to bring to life? Cause you get a good, I mean, it's probably like the first quarter of the book is, you know, spent on the Island. Yeah, I wanted to draw on inspiration from ancient Greece because that's you know where the the myth of Wonder Woman takes place. Um, I also just thought it would be really fun to draw that kind of clothing. So I liked looking at clothing from and and architecture from ancient Greece, and then also looking at modern day couture to kind of try to meld the two together, depending on what the women are wearing on the island. So that was really fun. And uh, yeah, same with the architecture. I just wanted to have some cool influences that felt like it was made a long, long, long time ago, but also still like, I don't know, just pretty, I guess. And yeah. also the yeah. island is very nature oriented. So I tried to add a lot of plants and natural elements to it and maybe have a little bit more organic flowy um, panel layouts yeah. for that part of the book. Yeah, no, that's interesting. In terms of layouts, there's definitely there's a, a number of moments that I think really stand out purely from a layout perspective in the book. Um, you do some cool things with sort of like a splitting, like darkness and light, you know, even something like, you know, when they're flying to America, you know, it's the outs exterior of the plane in, in one half. And then it's, you know, everybody that is inside on the other half, um, just like a nice visual cue for like, okay, they're moving, but we also need to have dialogue here. Um, and, and there's some other, I think there's a giant splash page at one point of, of just Diana as she's coming to some revelations around about, some of the darkness around her when you're so you're we've already talked a little bit you're working in this format it's a little bit unique right with graphic novel how do you determine when you have you know 180 so pages of runway like where to insert these moments of splashier is not quite what i mean but like more um innovative more like design oriented layout as opposed to 
you know, like just the the way the story is flowing kind of throughout mm. the rest of the book. Right. Well, for one, Lori wrote that in. So I'm just following her directions, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> As a writer, um, I do think about that stuff a lot, like the whole uh, set up a scene on two pages and then at the page turn, have that be like the most important thing, like build up the tension. And then when you when you turn the page, the reader should be like surprised or like some sort of payoff. Um, right. That plus something I learned from working on Shutter with Joe Keating was um, really sentimental moments or really impactful moments really benefit from a splash page or a double page spread because the less panels on a page, the longer a reader sits with it. Uh, the more panels on a page, I think like it implies faster action. So uh, yeah. it's just a storytelling technique that I think is really good for impactful scenes. Yeah. Prior to, um, Prior to this book coming out, you had worked on you worked on a number of things, but Sleepless came before this, and you'd also worked on Afar, which is a book that you wrote mm -hmm. and um, and did not draw. In obviously, you have influence and collaboration, right, with a project like that. Um, I read that recently as well. It's it's fantastic. I really dig Afar and, and recommend people check it out. Is it is it strange for you to get out of the out of the headspace of like? I'm the storyteller, you know, as the writer versus artist, or is that a pretty natural, um, like thing you can bounce back and forth between? Yeah, it was a little hard to let those visuals go to someone else and put it in kids' yeah. hands, but it, it didn't take long for me to get over it. It was like the first time I saw her page layouts, I was like, why was I worried? This is so fantastic. It's even better yeah. than what I imagined doing. And the, the same with the character designs. I was like, here's this thing. And I imagined something in my mind that was far less cool than what she came up with. So I very quickly got got out of that. And, um, and I'm working on the sequel to Afar right now. And I All don't right. feel nervous whatsoever. So I think that was just like a very short-lived worry that was easy to let go of for me. That's awesome. I was going to ask you if there was a sequel because it definitely ends, you know, with that potential, right? There, yeah. There's pretty clearly it could go there. So that that's exciting. All right, cool. Um, yeah, I, I really recommend people check that out. It, it it actually has like, I know it's it's a different creative team, but artistically, you know, it's got some of the same sensibilities that I enjoyed from Shudder with these anthropomorphic alien creatures, you know, and like they've got eyes in places, you know, tigers don't normally have eyes, but it's like it just visually I I really dig sort of that monster alien but also like with a, a deep human core Thank style you. That you've got going on yeah i mean the inspiration for that was like me wanting to do a less gruesome version of shutter for a young adult audience and yeah, so okay. and then also draw or writing what i know i would love to draw and also knowing that kit seaton really loves doing like costume designs and environments and yeah so um yeah, that's probably whether like it seems similar, but it's different for that. Now, will that be um, would that be released as a graphic novel or, or are you releasing that in issues? Uh, it'll be released as a graphic novel. I still don't yeah. know where we're going to release it. Um, not sure where the comic industry stands. And right. um, I'm sure that Image will publish it. But I we also have to figure out how to finance it because we put a lot more work into the book the first time than it paid us, I guess. And yeah. 
I don't want to do that to kid or myself. Like, I, I guess I could write the book for free, but I mean, I shouldn't have to. And yeah, right. I want Kit to get paid as much as she deserves, which she didn't get to get paid for the first one. Um, yeah, who knows? Accruals may work better. Maybe I'm getting too too much into the finances. <laughs> Anyways, so we want to, oh yeah, I wanted yeah. to get at the fact that I, I'm pretty certain we're going to kickstart it so that we can finance That's the book, not worry uh, as much as we did on the first book. For sure. Okay. That was going to be my follow-up because um, definitely that is that has been something that has come up more and more as I've been talking about like yeah, if you I, there's a I think a misconception of again like of fans where oh you have an image book like you must just be like rolling in beds made of money and it's like no like there's a process and they they take a cut right and it's like there's some status and there's some publicity certainly that comes with that um but then you look at like self publishing via Kickstarter and that's its whole a whole nother game of of marketing and and press right and stuff you have to manage such as distribution. Um, but mm -hmm. it is also like, okay, but your cut at the end of the day might actually be way more sizable. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's interesting to hear you doing it that way. I think, again, just based on my enjoyment of the work and I think the general critical reception, like I think there'd be a lot of interest for that. But it's it's interesting to hear more and more people moving that potential direction for for upcoming works. I think it's yeah. like it's it's just growing. You can tell like it's not a new thing. But it's it's got like a second wave of attention on it right now that I think is really interesting. Yeah, and I would be all for it going that route more because I think that comic book creators are vastly underpaid. And yep. yeah, there is a huge misconception. My creator-owned series have not been that successful monetarily, even though it might look that way from the outside, it's not. And I only started making a better income when I started working for companies like DC and Marvel. And yeah. the ones that have like an actual page rate as opposed to creator own comics, which is making money off of accruals, essentially. So mm -hmm. yeah, it may be the most cool looking book, but if it doesn't reach the audience that is right for it or like people don't know about it, yeah, oftentimes artists and writers aren't really making that much money off of it. Sure. sure. That, yeah. No. Yeah, no, no, I, I hear that for sure. So that kind of ties into, you know, one of the elements of this this graphic novel scene for DC is like, I've been pretty impressed by their move into these young adult graphic novels. Like there's a lot of them coming out increasingly and they're all like quite good and they're all clearly tar targeting a young adult audience that like has not had good superhero content targeted towards them for, you know, a pretty long time. Um, you know, and at the same time, like you have, you know, direct market versus superhero comics like just dc in general like they're kind of at a crossroads there there's this clear thing of like they've got black label they've got these graphic novels it's like are they even that you know like is there a future uh in a year in six months in five years where they're like yeah we're not gonna do the ongoing scene right it's it's a new thing as a creator like very immersed in this industry um what are your thoughts on like the general progression of not only dc comics but just like that sort of Wednesday warrior mentality in general? Mm, it's tough to answer that question because I'm not one of the Wednesday warrior folks. I'm yeah. someone who doesn't generally read monthly comics. I like to binge things. I'm like I like yeah. to sit and read a comic book for an hour as opposed to like 10 minutes. Um, sure. yeah. So I'm all for companies moving to, towards graphic novels. Um, I think it's, 
I think as a society, we're more into binging in general. So, I mean, for young adults, I think it was very, very smart for DC to do a young adult line. And I honestly have no idea why other publishing companies aren't doing the same thing. It's just like right. so much money to be made in like the mid reader and young adult market. Um, so yeah, I just, I really hope that that trend continues with other companies. And as for monthly comics, um, yeah, like I don't know the finances behind it, um, other than on the creative side and know and the cre the creator owned aspect of publishing. So I really can't answer the rest of it. All I know is I personally don't think I care if monthly comics stop being published, and if they do keep being published, I think I would support more of a of like a quarterly published thicker version of a yeah. of a comic or something but yeah this is yeah, my no, I, right no I, I can totally see that it, it's this weird thing that feels like sacrilegious because you know it's such an ingrained part of many comic fans experience but at yeah. the same time it's like no that's all of what you just said is how i prefer to read things as well it's just like this weird habit that i am accustomed to that i go to the shop every week you know what i mean it's just yeah. like this, it's weird. It's like it's more habit than like anything sensible. Yeah, and I think that like people can still go to the comic book shop once once a week, even with like uh, even if your creators don't have something coming out every month, there's still stuff to be bought every month. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, based on budgets, I think it's still like a a routine and a celebration that people can be part of, even if the the market shifts to something else. Sure. Sure. Cool. Um, I saw via your uh, Patreon, I think it was, that um, you're doing a, a number of YouTube interviews now and uh, with different creators and stuff. Can you kind of talk about how that uh, got started? Like, what was the inspiration for that and um, and kind of what your plans are for all that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so during quarantine, uh, we got a Switch and we got Zelda Breath of the Wild. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time I've actually gamed as a like full not full-time gamer but someone who actually did it for fun on a regular basis and yeah it's such a great time and it really was such a great distraction to everything that's going in the world on in the world right now and then the game ended and i played like 95 percent of it and it's not nearly as fun and so i needed to find something else that was fun to do <laughs> and, and then also around that time i was uh getting a little frustrated about like uh, one of the, my frustrations with uh, the marketing around Wonder Woman Tempest Toss is that a lot of the more popular news media outlets like People Magazine and um, I can't remember the rest, but they, were, they weren't even mentioning the whole art team in their articles. And it was all about the writer and about the yeah. story, nothing about the rest of the book that wouldn't exist without the rest of the creative team. So right. um, with this gap in my heart that <laughs> Zelda created, <laughs> I thought that I would start taking care of our own. Um, so the Helioscope PDX YouTube is basically a place where I can put, or not just me, but me and my studio mates can put educational content online. And the easiest thing to start with for me were interviews with yeah the studio mates who had stuff coming out. Like I interviewed Jeff Parker, who has a new Ninjak series coming out in 2021. Looked and Dylan Jonas, yeah. who I've been a fan of since I was in high school. And so it's just, and like doing these interviews has actually helped rekindle 
this love for the medium that I think I lost over the years of being burnt out on doing monthly comics, you know? Yeah. So it's a nice outlet to put a lot of time in that feels productive. It's like a more immediate release uh, or, you know, comics take forever, but a video takes like a day. And so the payoff for sharing it is a more immediate. And so it's nice to have a creative outlet that I can actually share with the world instead of wait months and months to, to talk about and show. Nice. Nice. And it's Helioscope PDX. That's the name of your studio, I believe. I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes. Um, but is that the name of the YouTube channel where people can find all this? Yes. Helioscope PDX. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. Good deal. All right. We will share that as well. Um, cool. So yeah, I, I think one Roman Tempest tossed is, is a really nice success. You mentioned you have some other, projects in the pipeline is there anything that you are um that you can share you mentioned a sequel to afar um that you're working on right now that you're that you're excited about uh yeah i can't tell you what they are <laughs> so besides the <laughs> okay. yep. youtube and the sequel to afar i'm working on a five issue like supernatural murder mystery thing with a company i can't mention and i can't mention anything else about it but i'm in the middle of issue four with that right now and i think they're announcing it this fall other than okay. that i do not have anything else i can talk about <laughs> sure sure no worries no worries at all um yeah no thanks so much for taking the time i, I really appreciate it before i before i do let you go is there a uh, a book or a creator that you don't think enough people are talking about that you would recommend people yeah i mean i love kit seaton i think she's always the first creator that comes to mind i yeah. think that she was undersold wait no that's a that's the wrong thing to say so we actually went to the same art college um okay. and and i think i saw her yeah i saw her work in the hallways there and i was like she's the best artist in this college she's so amazing <laughs> and then yeah. when i saw that i started getting work outside of college before her, I was like, this is bullshit. Like she should be the one more popular than me, like with better jobs and stuff like that. So I started working with her like um, on the Pantheon project. She did a bunch of colors for that. And then when I had the chance to write something, she was the first person to come to mind. And I think her work is freaking fantastic. She um, has a creator owned series with her sister at Image Comics called Norway. And the mm -hmm. sequel to that is I think coming out in 2021, she also just illustrated a Wonder Woman graphic novel that came out in January of this year. So she has um, a lot of stuff out there. Her style is perfect for young adult, and I just think she's phenomenal at storytelling. Awesome. Awesome. Great, Rick. Yeah, I, in uh, Afar, the book ends, the extras are like emails that the two of you had exchanged about character designs. And there's so much enthusiasm and just like like geeking out in the best way about her work it's so uh it's like the the positivity around like your reactions to seeing these things is super inspiring <laughs> it's like, so nice to see yeah no it's just like a collaboration like that where you're just like genuinely excited to be working together is is really cool um yeah it was it was a nice touch at the end of that book awesome Cool, cool. All right. Thanks so much for taking the time, Layla. Uh, this was fun. Everybody should check out Wonder Woman Tempest Tossed. And uh, otherwise, I think I can let you go. And but Yay, thanks for thank taking you. the time to talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Yeah.